It's time for Thriller Thursdays here on the Mutual Audio Network, if you dare. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Chapter 6 I hit the hallway at full tilt and pushed into another gear I didn't know I had for the 20 feet or so of straightaway ahead. If the idiot with the square jaw wanted to think that I was running like a frightened bunny before the awesome might of his shots at nothing in particular, that was just fine. I had to make time if this was going to work. Dingus would need to get back on his feet and get out from behind the desk before he could get after me at all, and that's if he charged right out like a bull moose. My bet was that he hung back at least five seconds to make sure I wasn't waiting just behind the door of Sam Burker's little office, ready to put a hole in his head. Never get in a firefight if you don't absolutely have to, or at least really, really want to. That was my motto. It would sound better once I had it translated into Latin. The corollary to that rule, of course, was never to stay in a firefight longer than was absolutely necessary. Tall, dark, and stupid didn't strike me as all that good at whatever it was he did for a living, but he did manage to get the drop on yours truly, so I gave him some otherwise unearned credit. Let us assume that my long and shapely neck was at a certain amount of risk shooting it out at close quarters. Yes, I had broken a couple of laws tonight, but the most serious had been the moment that I had fired the twenty-two. I had no regrets apart from the fact that the little pop gun pulled high into the left, wrecking the molding on Samuel Burker's doorframe, rather than putting one in Porkchop's shoulder and sitting him down for questioning. No, it's a poor workman who blames her tools. The gun didn't pull, I missed. I needed to work on targeting on quick draws with my little hidden piece, but for three or four reasons that was a bit awkward. Miss Dixon already garnered too much attention at the shooting range. So now I had two problems. Well, okay, there were more. There were two that I was prepared to worry about at this very second. I had some hat rack on my tail, and he had my camera bag. Fortunately, I was prepared for just such an emergency. He would hit the hallway any second. The elevator was right there on the stairwell beside it. He had to assume that was where I had gone, and if he wanted to meddle with me badly enough to have done what he did, he would follow rather than admit to whoever put him up to this that I got away. I was fast, but he had a shot at me on those stairs except I wasn't going to be anywhere near them. I hit the door of the Merdston Employment Agency hard and rolled backwards as I pushed my body past the barrier. The way behind was still clear. I pushed the door closed and froze, not moving a muscle that might betray me. This is why I had unlocked the door as I passed it on the way in. Circumstances dictated that I had no choice but to put myself into a box with one way out, but at least I could construct myself a bolt hole. This was so close to where I had started, no one would ever think of checking the door. Square Jaw would blunder past at full speed, making for the stairwell. He'd be halfway down before he was sure that he couldn't hear me just ahead of him, and would take the rest of the stairs and stick his fool head out of the door to check the street before he would even begin to accept the truth. By the time it occurred to him that I might never have left the second floor, if indeed such a notion did penetrate his meaty brow at all, I would have stepped lightly back into Shea Burker, collected my goodies, and exited by the unmarked service stairs at the far end of the hallway, down what looked at first to be a dead end. Perfect. Sixty seconds later, it was starting to feel less perfect. There was no sound from the hallway. Nothing. I found myself wondering if he could have been hit after all. I was already in a certain amount of trouble, but if I left the big idiot to die, that would be worse. I replayed both shots I had fired in my mind. I could see the impact of the first bullet, wide and to the left. The second shot had been nowhere near the lummox, I had bounced it off Samuel Burker's desk and wrecked the wall behind his chair. 
It wasn't a shot at anything, it was to keep him down while I figured out what to do. No way it hit him. No way. Another two minutes went by. He was just bothering me now. He couldn't have figured out where I was, and if he had, why wouldn't he have burst in the door? If he were really all that scared of being shot, he wouldn't have come up here in the first place. He'd have called the law when he saw me in the window. I could feel my brow knit in irritation. And just how exactly had he seen me up here? I wasn't invisible, but you had to have been looking. And more to the point, you'd have had to be looking with the expectation of seeing something. And you've had had to care, for some reason. None of it made a whole lot of sense. Could he have been J. Timms's actual gentleman friend? Making sure that all was well, if from afar? No, that seemed a stretch. First of all, I couldn't accept that a quality bit of merchandise like J. Timms would give herself freely to old Squarejaw. Secondly, even if she did, having him hang around at street level while she punched the clock with my client's husband seemed cold. So maybe it was a professional arrangement? Except Roger Mayfield wasn't rich. Not really rich, not sugar daddy rich. No doubt he was helping to pay for the apartment across the way, but he couldn't be picking up the entire tab. And even if she had six others, which would never give her a night off, it seemed unlikely that she could also be supporting a staff. Or a pimp. There was nothing in particular to suggest that Mayfield was paying J. Timms, and however much my client may have enjoyed her therapeutic use of the word whore, it was almost certainly applied in the pejorative sense, rather than a strictly literal one. All of this was very interesting. Where in the hell was the big idiot with the 45? It had been now at least five minutes. What if he were standing in the hallway waiting for me? Worse, what if the shots fired brought a prowl car down here? And what if they actually did their jobs and got out of the car and checked the street level door? Seemed like a stretch, but Miss Dixon could find herself at the tender mercies of John Law and they never did like me all that much. Well, certain individual representatives of the force had on occasion, liked me a great deal in a purely unofficial capacity, but that was at least somewhat beside the point. As an organization, they mostly did not. Let us leave it at that. This was really starting to bother me. I was actually being quite clever, and I hated it when people failed to appreciate that properly by doing exactly what I expected them to. Even if the big ape was silent as a kitten on his feet, I'd have heard the elevator or the door to the stairwell opening, which meant he had to be there still, didn't it? I opened the door to the Mertzen Employment Agency nice and slow. Nothing. I eyed the stairwell. It seemed like the better part of valor, but that camera was too much of my bread and butter to say nothing of the fact that one of the business cards in the bag belonged to the actual Trixie Dixon, and we couldn't have that. I stepped silently down the hall back towards Samuel Burker's door, unable to believe I was doing this. Technically, it was not my fault if the Gunsel had a heart attack or something. I'd given a man one before and not been charged with anything. The circumstances were, admittedly, dramatically different. I stepped back into Burker's office. I wish I had my Beretta. It had some weight, felt bonafide in my hand. This is not what the 22 was really for. I heard a floorboard creak under my foot and closed the rest of the distance between the inner office and myself as fast as I could. Nothing. The office was empty. No dumb big ape. No camera bag. He had known about the service stairs, too. He may not have known where I was, but he knew I'd try something to get that camera back and get away clean, and he'd step past the whole issue while I was lying in wait like an idiot. I resolved to shoot him the next time we met, on general principles. 
Except there might not be a next time since I had no idea what he was doing there in the first place. If I stuck close to J. Timms, he might turn up sooner or later, though what was I supposed to do about J. Timms and R. Mayfield without a camera was not immediately clear to me. I glanced across the street. The blinds were now drawn and the flicker of the candlelight showed through, though no motion could be seen. Perhaps it was over already. Poor girl, she wasn't having any more fun than me. I was about to leave when I spotted something on Samuel Burker's desk that did not belong. A small rectangle of white in the semi-darkness. It was a business card, and it wasn't one of mine. I picked it up. It had been laying face down with a handwritten message on the back. The front of the card read, Jack Justice Investigations. The note on the back said, This one is real. So, do you like comedy? If you do, then Friday Follies might be just the feed for you. From the Mutual Audio Network, every Friday we bring you a selection of hilarious audio drama. And you can find it wherever you find your podcasts. Just search for Friday Follies, or you could subscribe to the main Mutual Audio Network feed. It's up to you. Find us there. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.